Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit Hi, everybody. We're going to take a bite of the Big Apple on this Thursday and start it off with the sports anchor for Channel 2 in New York, WCBS. He's Otis Livingston. Um, recently, the Olympics concluded, Otis, and you have a little bit of a history going back some time with Olympics, uh, going back to, my God, as far as back as, what, 2004 in, yeah. in Athens? Yeah. I went to Athens first time yeah that was great uh having to go back there to where it originated and you know it was it was pretty uh it, it was pretty emotional you know to be a part of that kind of coverage and, and to cover the games and stuff like that uh, it was it was really neat but before that tell me about where and when you carried the torch before you even went to athens it was in harlem yeah and uh it was really cool. Dick Ebersol gave me the opportunity to do it. You know, he's the man, as far as the Olympics go, uh, he's, the, he's the guy out front, and uh, he gave me that opportunity to do it. There was a number of other people that got a chance to do it. So uh, I got a chance to run through Harlem, and, and, and here's a little trick. So I really wasn't in the greatest of shape at the time. <laughs> so I would jog a little bit, and then I'd go over to the side where people were cheering and stuff, and I'd let them touch it so I can get a rest. <laughs> <laughs> Smart. <laughs> I was like, I cannot do this straight. You know what I mean? So I kind of broke it up into little sections and stuff. But, but you know, I'm a man of the people, so I let everybody else be involved. <laughs> well, at least you didn't do the Rosie Ruiz thing and take a cab during the marathon. Exactly. <laughs> I, mean, <yeah. laughs> I was looking for a subway, though. I'm, I'm not lying. Uh, and then again in 2006 in Torino, you were involved there as a broadcaster. Yes. Uh, in uh, Athens, I had a uh, I had a uh, a show on Bravo um, covering some of the uh, other offbeat type stuff that wasn't covered on the main channels and stuff like that. So that was a great experience to be you know brought in like that. Um, I also got the opportunity to do the uh, wrap up show um, that they sent around to the affiliates. Um, so 
so then 2006 I was a I was a reporter I didn't have a show at that time they had cut back a little bit um so I was a reporter there so that was really neat you know a uh, great opportunity and, and in both uh instances my wife was able to come over because you know we we're there for a month you know and being away from my family they were, we were young at the time you know and it was just that was hard but she was able to come over for about half of that time after I got a little you know got my feet wet you know as far as uh what we were going to be doing as far shows reporting and just got my feet under me and stuff and she was able to come over there so that was a big part of me actually surviving and, and coming out saying <laughs> he's otis livingston <laughs> channel two in new york uh, i i never was involved with the summer olympics but i was involved with two winter olympics for cbs radio in 1992 in albaville in france okay. uh, and and the thing that i took away from that and maybe you can share the same experience uh, the opening ceremonies. I mean, you're standing there in the stands and you see the American team come out and they play the national anthem. Tell me that doesn't make the hair on the back of your neck stand up. Yeah, that was neat. That was that was really cool. I was, uh, you know, and, and it was very important to, to be there and to watch that and take it all in. And it just kind of set the tone for what we were going to be doing as far as coverage. You know what I mean? You take that kind of pride into what you're doing as well you know you want to represent our country you want to represent those athletes who are putting it out on the line you know every event out there so you you kind of take that to heart and, and that's kind of like motivation for you as well so I, I felt that from that day on and uh it was a really great experience especially when you're sitting out there and you're, I mean, standing in the stands and, and the anthem's playing and you're trying to pick out people that you know you know the athletes and then there's some that work just as hard don't get as much notoriety until this time comes around so that was good to, to see that and to be a part of that uh and then uh, uh I, I was covering speed skating and there was a young girl named bonnie blair from milwaukee who won two yeah. gold medals in uh, 1992 and she's on the podium and they're playing the national anthem getting her gold medal and man alive i felt chills up and down my spine yeah yeah it, it's um Oh man, it was it was such a fun time. Uh, I think I I had Shani Davis. He was doing some speed skating as well. Um, that was part of the the Torino Games. That was a big story, you know, during that time too. So it was pretty neat to uh, be a part of that. Let's talk about the, the recently concluded Olympics and a lot of discussion about Simone Biles, who's phenomenal. I mean, I just look at look, I admire talent. Okay, uh, when you have a special talent that she has, and all the other gymnasts. Uh, and then, of course, a lot of the story about uh, her pulling out of a couple of events and so on. Uh, and look, I had empathy for her. I mean, I didn't, I, I didn't experience what she goes through, but Are you hear me okay? You hear me okay? Uh, breaking up a little bit. Yeah. I said, yeah, talking about Simone Biles, and I, I mean, I didn't have never gone through what she went through, and. I was almost in shock when I heard people criticizing her. Why would anybody criticize somebody unless you have walked in that person's shoes? Well, that, that's what we are as human beings. People are always going to criticize. I mean, there's, there's some like you, like me, who have empathy for her, um, but everyone else thinks that they know better. You know what I mean? They think that they know what the, the athlete is going through. You know, and I can't say that. So if I've never been through it, I'm going to take 
mind if she's got the twisties or whatever is affecting her. And I feel like in this past year or so, I thought we were moving past this. I thought we were getting to a point where people would have empathy for other people. But it's safe to say for the, the majority or a lot of people, it's the same thing. They know better. You need to lay it on the line for America. You need to do this for the team. You need to do, I would do this if I were in that position. I would do, you know, everybody's got advice, but like you said, never walked in that person's shoes. So I will remain empathetic towards athletes and towards anyone who's dealing with things. Because as I said, we've been going through some stuff in the last couple of years that, you know, we're talking about the, the, the killing of George Floyd, et cetera, uh, the pandemic, isolation, quarantine, all these sort of things that have played on people's minds and affected them. And we have to be sympathetic towards that. Very, very true. Very well said. Um, a lot of broadcasters that you know of, guys you know, that have big names, Marv Albert, Bob Costas, um, Ian Eagle, guys like that that have been to Syracuse, Mike Breen, Michael Kay have been to Fordham. And you came out of the University of Idaho. What did you try to do? Take a shortcut? Yeah, right. I mean, it was putting me so far ahead, you know, and, you know, the, the reputation that that school had. <laughs> um, man, you know, I just, you know, you just get in where you fit in, man, and you try to make it happen. You know, that's kind of my motto. Uh, it, it's something that burned in me from an early age, man, from Los Angeles with Ben Scully and Chick Hearn and and guys like that, and uh, you know, so it was it was a passion that I had, along with playing basketball, that I wanted to see through no matter what path I, I had to take. Uh, but yeah, that was a shortcut, man. Everybody, that's a hotbed. I know. <laughs> so who, so, so who did you um, did did you have like somebody you really looked up to, a mentor of such? Um, I think just I never really communicated with them, but like I said, I just felt like. Those names that I said before, they listening to them and growing up as a, as a Laker, Dodger, you know, uh, Miami Dolphin fan, and, and I was always into sports. And those guys, when we used to listen to the radio or, or it was on television, it was just it just mesmerized me, you know. So on the court, the play was was keeping my attention, but also what they were saying, the way they would describe a game. You know, and you can close your eyes if it was on television and you can actually see it, you know. And, and on the radio, of course, that's what you have to do is see it in your head. And they paint that kind of picture. So uh, I think one of the guys that I really uh, looked up to uh, was Jim Hill, who's a, a local guy in L.A., but he's yep. done network stuff. He's yep. a big name. He's, yep. And, and it, it's, so, it's so crazy that all these years later, He's working for CBS in Los Angeles. I'm working for CBS in New York, and we've had time at Super Bowls and things of that nature to, to get to know each other, and I, I, I told him that. You know, I had written him a letter early on uh, to, to try to get some advice. Uh, I don't believe he returned it. I'm sure he got a lot of those kind of requests, but it was like that was the guy, you know, that I wanted to be like. So he's used my office when they had, you know, uh, things going on in New York with an LA team, you know, so that that's been kind of like a full circle kind of pinch me moment because, as I said, he was one of those guys that I really looked up to and said, you know, if I can have a career, and, and it's, it's he's just a 
Uh, he just makes it so simple a lot of times when he talks. When he says what he has to say, he presents it. There's some guys that, you know, they have to make it bigger than life. They have to make I'm kind of like a layman. I'm like, oh, this is what's going on, blah, 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 blah. Of course, you try to make it sweet, funny, whatever it is. But, you know, the way you can just relate to your audience, that's what I learned from him and other people like that. If I'm not mistaken, didn't he have a cameo appearance in Rocky? Oh, he's been in a, in, in a number of things. So, so it's Stu Nahan. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Stu was in that too, but I, I, he's, had, he's been in a number of things, you know. And I think he did, uh, like, like was a host for, for some boxing uh, for Showtime or HBO. I'm not sure which one, but he's done a lot of things, man, uh, after his, his pro football career, too. He's Otis Livingston, the sports anchor of Channel 2 in New York. Uh, as we're taking a bite of the Big Apple, let's take a bite of the Big Apple. One of the stars of the Olympics was Kevin Durant from the Brooklyn Nets, who, who basically yep. carried that team to a gold medal. Um, I, if I said Kevin Durant is not only the best American-born basketball player in the NBA, but right now I'm prepared to say, with all due respect to Giannis Antetokounmpo, I think Kevin Durant's best player in the NBA. I would go that far as well. Uh, he's playing at such a level. I mean, he almost beat them pretty much single-handedly. If his foot was not on the line, they go to the finals and they win that thing. I'm, I'm, I'm putting, I believe that they would go to the finals and they would win the whole thing. And that was without Kyrie. And that was with a compromised James Hart. And, and most of, I mean, he had the role players that chipped in. Joe Harris did not play well. So he had to make up for that, which, you know, they were counting on. Um, KD is, is a monster. That, that's the way I look at him. He's just a monster, man. He can do that. He plays defense as well. You know, and when he gets going uh, and he wants to take over a game and he decides that it's that time, you know, I think sometimes, too, he's, he defers to other guys, you know, to get everybody involved and things of that nature. But when he decides that it's time to go, He's unstoppable. He's seven feet tall. He's got handle. He uh, he uh, sorry, man. All right, so all right. Sorry about that, Howard. That's all right. Say hi. All right. So anyway, um, all right. That's enough. Um, he's just a monster, you know, and and he has proven that he can carry a team. He's proven that he's got that dog in him. You know what I'm speaking of dogs? But he's got that dog in him, and I, I, I would agree that he's the best player in the NBA right now. Well, you know, in the, the world. Yeah. In I'm, the world. I mean, it's, it's only August, but already um, the odds makers in Las Vegas have instilled the Nets in the, e, in, the, uh, in the East and the Lakers in the West to meet for the championship. Hard to refute that, particularly with what the Lakers have done by turning over their roster. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think I, I want to see what that defensive edge is like for this team. Caruso, he was spotty at times, but he always brought the energy. He always played defense. KCP was hit or miss as far as his jump shot. When he had it going, he was he was tough. He was a, those, those were two key parts of that championship team, and they played defense. Kyle Kuzma, I was on the fence as far as he goes, you know, because – I just never thought that he turned into that player that they wanted to hold on and, and to, to make a big part of the organization. I just I wasn't as impressed 
you know, I didn't think he reached that level. Uh, and you got to remember, he was so important to them that they turned down some trades because other teams wanted him to be a part of it. So that was, you know, that might have held them back from having adding some key pieces. So we'll see. I, I'm just, I'm concerned as far as the defense. I just want to see what it's going to be like. I love the addition of, of Carmelo. Uh, I saw a stat the other day where uh, they were talking about the, the additions that they've made, and the, especially the ones that didn't really cost them a whole lot, and that it doesn't even add up to the price that the Knicks are paying for Evan Fournier. I would, these, are key, these are key parts to, to the Laker team. I would take it this far. Look, Carmelo's 37. All right. Dwight Howard's 35. Tre- Trevor Ariza's over 35. But... Having said that, Malik Monk is a good addition. Kent Bazemore is a good addition. Kendrick Nunn is a good addition. Uh, And Russell Westbrook, to me, and I had an argument with a friend of mine who said, well, Russell Westbrook needs the ball, and so does LeBron. I said, wait a minute. Keep this in mind. When the Nets got James Harden, everybody said the same thing, that he and Kyrie couldn't coexist. Well, they did. And the same is going to happen in L.A. You know, look, the way I understand it, Westbrook... Davis and LeBron sat down before the deal was consummated and discussed the possibility of playing together. So whatever problems they may or may not have had, I think they ironed them all out. I totally agree with you. And it had to happen. They, they had to have some kind of understanding or a move like that would not be made. And I'm going to tell you something that's really funny that you mentioned about James Harden because you and I are on the same page as far as that goes. I think that it was a relief for James Harden to go to Brooklyn. And, and what I mean by that is when he was in Houston, he had to do all that scoring. But yet you always saw he had 9, 10, 11, a lot of assists. So he was a willing passer, but he had the reputation of being a selfish player who wanted to score and all that. I think it was a relief to play with a couple other guys who had the same type of skill level, the same desires, and could take a little bit of that scoring pressure off him. Now, he's going to get hit. And when he, again, when he decides that he wants to score a lot of points, he's almost unstoppable. But I think it was a relief for him to, to kind of ease that burden and become more of a playmaker. And people, it was, it was funny because a lot of people, oh, wow, James Harden can pass the basketball on that. No, he's always been able <laughs> right. to, but he's had to score to keep his team in games. Absolutely. Look, the Nets also pick up Patty Mills, which I think is a terrific addition to their team. He plays both sides of the of the court. Um, I, I'm not worried at all about the Nets. I think, you know, like everybody else, stay healthy. But I'm going to ask you about one guy that would love to have a mulligan, and his name is Dennis Schroeder. He turns down $84 million from the Lakers and signs with the Celtics for 5.9. Uh, hello? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a tough one, man. I, I, oh my goodness, I'm, I'm sick just thinking about that. <laughs> I mean, uh, this is the ultimate betting on yourself, and it didn't work out. This is the ultimate when keeping it real goes wrong. You know, what I mean, like that's a lot of money, and you would have he would have still been on the Lakers. He would have still been probably the point. To, he would have been the starting point guard. All this stuff would have been in the bank. He wouldn't have had to sweat it out. He wouldn't have had. I, I saw a, a, an article that said he was distraught after every everything that was. Yeah, I'm, I'm distraught for it. 
him. <laughs> I mean, that was amazing that that, that it, it went down like that. And I think also the fact that he turned it down and he didn't have a great year. He was hurt part of it, too. Uh, and if, if I'm not mistaken, I think he had COVID or, or something, but he, he missed some games late in the season as well. And it just, I, I think the Lakers were probably saying, okay, well, how to dodge the bullet there because he didn't live up to what he was supposed to when they brought him over. Rondo was a huge part of that championship uh, last season. Um, and so they were kind of replacing him with, uh, with Schroeder. And he didn't play that kind of role. I think the Lakers made a few mistakes letting Dwight Howard go, and I'm sure he wanted to go to get, you know, to, to get paid or whatever it was. Uh, and Rondo, those, and, and JaVale McGee, some people may laugh at that, but I thought they played their role well, and they fit in well, and they won a championship. So we'll see if they get a chance to, to do it this time around with Melo and guys that are hopefully going to, fit in and, and, and just play the play the role, but as far as Schroeder goes, man, that's a tough one. Alright, the, the, anytime the Knicks make some positive noise, their fan base goes crazy. Uh, the, <laughs> the addition of Kemba Walker, um, uh, now, if you talk about Kemba Walker five years ago, I'm looking at it differently, but the man's missed 55 games the last two seasons with knee injuries, and it, you know, the, ob- the obvious question is can he stay on the floor? Yeah, yeah, that's the that's the obvious question with him, and and I personally I love the move. I was happy about it uh, because I've always loved his game. I always thought I always wanted him to come back to New York. I wanted him to come to the Knicks years ago before he went to Boston because um, I thought that that would have presented some some really great point guard play for them, which they sorely need. That that's almost every year. You know, um, when was the last time they had a really great point guard now having said that you're right the the injuries the the knee uh staying healthy that's going to be the key for him and i just want to see him get back to be the being the guy because when he when he was playing at his best he was in charlotte but they weren't playing for anything right i want to see him on that big stage especially at msg reminiscent of the uh, big east tournament years ago where they won uh, all those games in a row and then went to the ncaa's and qualified and 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 won won the whole thing that's what i want to see because I, I like him as a person i like his game i like his swagger i think he's humble as well but he's a killer on the course so i'd like to see him return to that he's uh otis livingston from channel two in new york we're taking a bite of the big apple uh let's talk a little baseball now the mets win last night and come from behind fashion after the game was resumed but they still yeah. have dropped nine of their last 11 meanwhile the yankees have won seven of nine and they're starting to get some of their pieces back. Uh, the Yankees yeah. have uh, uh, options. Um, uh, you you either try to win the division or you got a shot at a wild card. The Mets, it's either they win the NL East or, or they're done. And now yeah. they've dropped out of first place behind Philly and Atlanta. They still don't have Jacob Degrom back, uh, and and Lindor maybe will be coming back soon. What are your expectations for the Mets? are that they'll get it together. Um, I think the Phillies, you can't bank on them, you know, playing great baseball the rest of the way. Um, I think the Mets uh, have that opportunity to turn things around. Uh, I like the attitude that Pete Alonso, I think a lot of people kind of, you know, raised an eyebrow when he was saying, we're all right, we're hitting the ball hard, we're just hitting the people that's going to go in after they have lost all those games. 
Um, I think a lot of people frowned on that, but I like the attitude. Um, you know, the assistant uh, GM, Zach Scott, came out yesterday and really blasted him as far as playing mediocre ball all right. year, and now they're less than mediocre. Uh, we'll see if those guys are able to rise to the occasion. I, I believe that they'll be able to turn it around and, and get back. They're only a game out right now uh, behind Philly and Atlanta, and you're right. They they have to um, they have to win the division in order to go, and, and, and I think that if they don't make the playoffs, they really have squandered a great opportunity because they were playing some really good baseball for, for a long time. And, you know, it was also coupled with, you know, those other teams not playing well too, but they were playing some really inspired baseball. They were making comebacks. They were, they were really, you know, uh, getting their fans really excited. Um, I, I think they'll be able to turn it around. Here's the difficult part, Otis. Yep. Look at that schedule. They've got 13 games against the Dodgers and the Giants over the next 15 games. That's brutal. Yeah. That yeah. No, you're right. That's a that's a murderer's row right there. But uh, <laughs> I mean, they're gonna have to. You're right. They're, they're, they're just gonna have to summon it up. I mean, those are two of the, the really good teams. Uh, then they come back against Washington and Miami, and Washington and Miami. So you know. They, they definitely have to have to turn the corner. Let me ask you one final question before I let you go. It's been nine years since a New York team has won a title, and that was the uh, football giants nine years ago. Wow. It, 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 yeah, it's been a long time and a lot of wows. But if you're looking around New York's, at New York's teams right now, who's the closest to winning a championship of all the New York teams? Islanders. <laughs> yeah, okay. I mean – you know, I mean, I, I would say because, okay, so my heart wants to say Brooklyn, the Nets. I don't know if they can stay healthy. That's it. If, if you tell me they're going to stay healthy, I would say Brooklyn. You know, and, and when, when you look at the situation on paper or, or you know, the way the teams have, have competed, the, uh, the Islanders were a game away from the Stanley Cup final. You do sidelines. Uh, you do sidelines for Channel Two and uh, Giants preseason. Uh, they the Giants play the Jets. Uh, Jets. Jets. I do the Jets. Oh, the Jets. I'm sorry. You're right. Yeah. 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 Uh, so I mean, they the two play each other on Saturday. Uh, yeah. The Giants have uh, you know a quarterback that's come under a lot of scrutiny, but uh, this is a make or break year for Daniel Jones, I believe. The offensive yeah. line is key. I love the way they've upgraded their wide receiver core. Uh, and the Jets, uh, nobody expects anything from a team that won two games last year. And I understand that. Uh, and maybe they're going to win six or seven games. But at least there's a direction now that wasn't there two or three years ago. Yeah, no, you're, you're exactly right. It seems like they got their ducks in a row now. You know, uh, Robert Sala, of course, this is his first year as a head coach. But he seems to be... You know, uh, implementing his culture, his attitude. Um, he seems to be, from the press conferences that I've been at and, and seen uh, as well, he seems to, you know, be on top of things. Um, that's half the battle, you know, and he seems to have the guys that are behind him. Obviously, they're going to have to go out and they're going to have to to prove it on the field, you know, because that's where the rubber meets the road. You know, I think Joe Douglas is is good at, at his job he's also going to be watched this year you know as far as the moves that he's made 
which ultimately, again, comes back to the players and what they do on the field. But, yes, you do feel like there's a direction. This These last couple years, it just seemed like, wow, what is going on? I mean, as they sank lower and lower and lower. You know, you always have kind of confidence in the Giants, though, because of management, because of history, because of ownership, because of all that, you know. But as far as the Jets go, they're going to have to prove it. They're going to have to get out there. And they're going to have to turn this corner. And like you said, from two wins to six or seven, that would be a huge leap. Um, and then you go from there. Now you got to your, your, your franchise quarterback has to be a franchise quarterback. He has to be somebody that you can build around because the last time we thought they had one, three years later, he's gone, Sam Darnold. So uh, that's a huge part. I think uh, that the defensive front, seven, is getting a lot of uh, rave reviews yep. as far as what's going on in, in training camp. Obviously, they're going to be ahead of the offense, especially with the rookie quarterback. Uh, but people in the know are saying that they could be a top 10 type front seven, uh, which is going to be Zach Wilson and the offense's best friend if they can you know, keep other teams out of the end zone. Keep these two names in the back of your head. Carl Lawson yep. and Elijah Moore. Yes. Watch this kid. I saw him last year in college, and I went, wow. And now, what the one thing the Jets have now they haven't had, they have speed at the wide receiver position and depth. And, and, that's, yeah. and the same at the running back room, same thing. Yeah, yeah, they have. And, and, and a lot of people said that that's where they fail Sam Darnold. Now, Sam made some mistakes on his own. He made some poor decisions. I think he was trying to do too much, you know, with what he had. Now, you're starting to get some playmakers at key positions. You got Corey Davis as a wide receiver. Uh, Elijah Moore, again, has been turning heads. You know, Carl Larson, Lawson and Kai Beck. All these guys are making an impact, and those are weapons. You know what I mean? And those are guys that hopefully you can hang your hat on, and they can go out and make plays and get some wins this year. And, and, and again, develop a base. Some plays that you can really start, have pride in, and go from there in the years to come. Um, I, I just I, I just rem- want to tell you the NFL has got a sense of humor. Who do they schedule in week one? The Jets at Carolina and old friend Sam Darnold. That's right. That's right. Uh, I'm sure, yeah, they were sitting around. They rubbed their hands together and said, let's do this. <laughs> yeah, going to be fun. Hey, Otis, always appreciate your insight and keep working on that handicap. Oh, my goodness. Oh, you hit below the belt now, man. <laughs> <laughs> if I can get that driver down, man, I might be okay, decent. <laughs> like, like I said to Ernie Els once when I was covering a golf tournament, uh, and I uh, he, he had a great shot, added some deep rough alongside the green. And I said, what did you hit? He goes, nine iron. I said, he said, why? What would you use? I said, well, I would go with a wedge. He goes, well, that's why you're not on the tour. I said, Ernie. Ooh. Do you think that's the only reason why I'm not on the tour? <laughs> so what? Hey, so quickly, what do you think about Jr. Smith? <laughs> I, he, 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 he claims to be a five handicap. That's not enough yeah. to play college golf. Right. Right. We'll see. Yeah, I like I like the passion. I like the fact that he's going back to school. He came straight from high, you know, from high school to the pros. Uh, you know, got a lot of time on his hands and trying to use it constructively. And he loves golf. Loves golf. So that's cool.
cool. Maybe maybe he can get that handicap down and be competitive. Uh, we'll see. Hey, yeah. Otis, you you stay safe and take care of that great family of yours. Thank you so much. As always, a pleasure, man. Great catching up. He is my man, Otis Livingston from Channel 2 in New York. As we're taking a bite of the Big Apple, which we will continue with the beat writer uh, for the New York Post that covers the Giants. And he is Paul Schwartz. We're going to get Paul uh, in sync here. Here we are. We're going to get that. We're going to get that. We're going to get that. And then we're going to bring Paul on and join us. Hello, Paul. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. Good. Ready to talk some Giants? Let's talk some Giants. But before I go anywhere, what was the reason for the little uh, inter-squad skirmish they had a few days ago? Oh, yeah. That was um, that, 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 that was last week. Um, well, it, was, um, it wasn't a particularly hot day, not like it is right now. But, you know, these things happen. You've seen a bunch of football practices. Um, um, uh, Second-year safety, Xavier McKinney. Uh, hit hit a uh, ball carrier a little too hard, uh, knocked him down. Uh, one of the players celebrated. The other player didn't like that. It pushed him. Uh, the, the real trigger was when um, Logan Ryan, the safety, came from behind and pushed the uh, tight end Evan Ingram in the back from behind, knocked him down, and everything started uh, um, getting a little wild after that. And uh, the thing that made it notable was that Daniel Jones kind of was in the middle of it, and not kind of, he was in the middle of it, and he... Um, he ended up being pretty much at the bottom of the pile. So, you know, and he's wearing red and everyone else is wearing um, blue and, and white. Obviously, red for a uh, football player in practice means, you know, do not touch, no contact. So uh, that was a little hairy for a while, but uh, they got over that. Paul, uh, uh, I understand that uh, former Giant great quarterback Phil Simms addressed the team. Were you there? And did you hear what he said? Um, I was there. It was um, on the far field. I didn't hear what he said, but... Um, um, you know, they didn't make that public. But, you know, Phil Phil is around the Giants a lot. I know even today he's at the Jets today. You know, he's an NFL guy. He lives in Jersey. So he goes to the Giants. He goes to the Jets. And, uh, you know, I know that he feels kind of bullish on this Giants team. I've talked to him about that and kind of likes the old school mentality that uh, Joe Judge brings. And, you know, Phil is an expert on old school mentality, right? He was brought up in the NFL by Bill Parcells. Uh, a lot of people compare Joe Judge to Tom Coughlin, I see a little more Parcells in Judge. So, really? um, you know, I, I know uh, Phil talked a lot about toughness and old school, that kind of thing. Uh, let's talk about um, Saquon Barkley. Uh, I'm hearing a variety of stories. What's the truth? Is he going to play in the preseason and how much? Well, <laughs> uh, he's not going to play in game one, which is Saturday night uh, against the Jets. Um uh, look, the key is, is he going to play September 12th against the Broncos? I mean, that's what people care about. Uh, you know, he, I can go two ways with this. Joe Judge said, you know, sometimes a guy needs to, you know, get in a game. You know, Joe Judge said when he was with the, um, the Patriots, he had to tell veterans sometimes, look, you know, he was a special teams coordinator. Look, you you got to play a little bit in the preseason, even though you're a veteran, because you just haven't done anything in practice. You haven't done enough. Now, it may get to that point with Saquon. He's not going to do a lot in practice. Uh, Joe Judge has already said that next week when the Giants practice for two days with the Browns, a joint, pra a joint practice before their preseason game, that, that Saquon's not going to do a lot because it's not as much of a controlled environment. So um, I think he's going to have to get a few carries in a preseason game. I'm talking a few. 
put the put the shoulder pads on, put the helmets on, give them a couple of carries, have them run into the line, you know, get tackled, and that's it. You know, nothing nothing major, nothing heroic, just to get him ready. That if they can use him in game one, it's not. You know, it's almost not fair to have a guy miss so long and, and then be put out there with, with no practice in a real game. Uh, maybe I mentioned this to you before, but I discussed with Bill Parcells about Saquon Barkley. Asked him uh, what he thought of the player, and he said he would like to see him run between the tackles a little bit more uh, because he's, there's no question about his ability to run on the outside. What, what, what do you say to that? Uh, well, who am I to uh, disagree with Bill Parcells, right? Uh, no, I, I mean, I, I think that's true. No, Saquon Barkley is a great physical specimen. He's a great home run hitter. But I, I, I think at times he has not been a great, quote-unquote, running back. You know, taking what the defense gives you. You know, if, if, the, if the play is blocked for four yards, maybe he can get five or six. You know what? If the play is blocked for one or two... Maybe you have to take that one or two, and, and because he's such a terrific guy, such a terrific player, he can squeeze it into three or four. But you have to accept that. You know, sometimes a three-yard game is a victory, and I think Saquon has had to learn that. You know, he's not a perfect player. You know, his pass protection was not great. Um, you know, for a guy who's such a such a beast and has such a low center of gravity with those big, big, huge legs, you know, that he can really – you know, anchor down and stop a guy, but his his technique was not always great in that. And yeah, I think you know, for a guy who's so dynamic and can bounce it outside and get a, and get a long game, he has to at times. You know, you know, Ezekiel Elliott is great at that. Ezekiel Elliott is like a bowling ball at times, and um, sometimes he bounces it outside, but a lot of times he hits the hole. You know, that that the play is designed to block. You know, block to get. And um, if it's three and a half yards, so be it. And I think um, I think Saquon can learn something from that. If, Paul, there's a concern, it's about a young offensive line, uh, what are you hearing about their expectations and, and how quick they can get together, which is always a tough question for any offensive line. Yeah, I mean, uh, Howard, the way it's set up right now, no one on the offensive line will be older than 25. You know, you'll have 22, 23, 24, 25. I mean, very young, very inexperienced, and um the Giants seem bullish on that. You know, the one thing I like about it, I think I mentioned this before with you, Howard, is I like the fact that they're coming right out and saying, we like these guys better than you do. You meaning the media, you <laughs> meaning the fans. We like them better. You know, it's not we're holding up breath. Uh, we hope this can, can be the case. Look, Matt Pert is a, is a third-round pick last year. You know, it's not unheard of for third-round picks to start their second year. Um, Andrew Thomas was the fourth pick in the draft two years ago. Uh, last year, you know, actually when he was a rookie, um, you know, he started right away. He had a, a, a tough indoctrination to the NFL. He got better. You know, he's their left tackle, like it or not. Uh, Nick Gates, they like. He was an undrafted guy in Nebraska. He played uh, tackle, left tackle specifically. He's their center. Um, he's got a very good bend to him. I think he's going to be a starting center or guard for a while. You know, I think he's a pretty good player. I think the guards right now are questions. Uh, um, Will Hernandez was a second-round pick the same year Saquon Barkley came out, 2018. He has not lived up to expectations. You know, he was the left guard the whole time. Now he's being moved to right guard. Uh, he's lost weight. He looks like he's in great shape. Um, but, you know, until he does it, he hasn't done it. And, um, you know, the left guard, I think, is a real leap of faith. Shane Lemieux was a fifth-round pick last year. Uh, he started uh, after um, uh, Will Hernandez got COVID, had to miss some time. Uh, Shane Lemieux stepped in. They loved the way he passed. Um, he, they loved the way he blocked against the run. Uh, they really thought that picked up. They thought there were a lot of plays last year with these guys after Saquon got hurt 
that if Saquon was there, he would have had real long gains, you know, and, and, and these running backs last year were just not capable of doing that. But Shane Lemieux was, was graded out very poorly as a pass blocker. So, you know, across the board, there's not one guy who they pencil in to start that you can say, I'm fine with him. I have no problem with him. You know, like Kevin Zeitler was last year as a starting right guard, who was not a pro Bowl player, but a guy you really could look at and say, we know what we're getting from him. Uh, you can't say that about any of these guys. I see what they're doing here, but I would have liked them to sign a veteran guard. Now, they signed Joe Looney, who was a good player from the Cowboys. He, he spent a couple of days here and retired. They signed Zach Fulton, who was, has, you know, a ton of starts in the NFL, um, you know, not a great player, but certainly a guy you could plug in. He spent, uh, you know, a few weeks with the Giants and then retired. So they got to kind of fill those holes. They need uh, some more veteran presence. They have a veteran presence at, at tackle with Nate Solder, and he's their stopgap if anything happens to their young tackles. I think it's fair to say we're talking with Paul Schwartz of the New York Post who covers the Giants. When you look at Daniel Jones, and, and look, everything starts and stops with the quarterback. Uh, two years ago in his rookie year, he had a, a pretty good year with over 3,000 yards and a 2-to-1 ratio touchdowns to interceptions. Last year, uh, a far cry, only 11 touchdowns, 10 interceptions, and they won six games last year. But having said that, I think it's fair to say they've upgraded their wide receiver room, uh, the, the addition of Galladay, the drafting of Tony to go along with Slayton, Shepard, and Ingram gives them a much better receiving core than they had last year. They do. I mean, they, this was this was this was the um, this was the thought with Daniel Jones, you know. And, and and I know for a fact that the front office and ownership, you know, they they still kick themselves for not supplying Eli Manning, you know, in his last years with the Giants. When Eli Manning needed more help, they did not give it to him. He had less help on the offensive line as far as some of his targets, you know, um, and, and, and that was a problem, you know what I mean? And, and, and they are determined, you know, not to have Daniel Jones go down with the ship here because he doesn't have enough weapons. So Saquon Barkley is coming back, like we said, whether he's ready for primetime duty and a lot of carries game one uh, is, remains to be seen, probably not, but he's a guy they're going to count on to be their running back and a terrific player. Kenny Galladay, as you mentioned, Kadarius Tony, the first round pick, you know, Sterling Shepard has had the best camp he's ever had with the Giants. He looks terrific. Uh, Darius Slayton is a capable guy. John Ross has tremendous speed. Maybe they can utilize some of that, which, you know, he was not able to do as a former first round pick with the Bengals. But yes, this is there is more around Daniel Jones. We've talked about the offensive line. If that holds up, look, at some point the quarterback has to make plays. Um, if you have nobody to make plays, it's a problem. They have guys to make plays. It's going to be up to him. This is a, a I don't like this make or break stuff, but it's as close to that as possible, Howard. Let's face it. Uh, if, if things go okay and, and Daniel Jones is upright and has time, he's got to play at a higher level. I think he will. It's a matter of how high can he get. I'm not so sure about that. Every time, look, I've been around <clears throat> the sports in New York for a long time. Two things are always guaranteed. If the Knicks show any signs of a pulse, their fan base goes crazy. Uh, they're going to do this and they're going to do that. And they get Kemba Walker now and they're going to, they're going to, well, we, well, time will tell. And the other thing is, that if the Dallas Cowboys show the same signs of a pulse, everybody says, oh, the Cowboys are going to win the NFC East. Well, wait a minute. Yeah, they got Dak Prescott back. Washington has got an outstanding defense. We'll see if uh, Fitzmagic can hold up. 
But right now, uh, they're the team that won the division with a sub-500 record. I think it's more of a fistfight, top to bottom. I, I don't know what Philadelphia is. Maybe you can enlighten me. But I don't, I, I don't say that the Giants are out of this conversation. Do you? No, I don't. I don't. Right. I mean, I, uh, as you said, in, in certain divisions, the Giants would be out of the conversation. You know, um, uh, you know, there's no question about it. But this, this is a, you know, come one, come all, right? Or, you know, beat one, beat all uh, division, the NFC East. I think it'll be better than it was last year, but it's not a great, it's not a great division. So, yeah, I, I, certainly Washington, you know, can make a strong case. We're the best team. We won it last year. Um, you know, we're the best team. The Cowboys can, can say, look, we have a, a lot of talent in offense. Our defense has got to be better. But we have our quarterback back, we think, right? Dak Prescott's having some issues now. But if they have their quarterback back, they're a much different team. The Giants can certainly say, we think um, we need to be in the conversation. I know that's what the front office thinks. The, you know, the front office is not thinking we're going to absolutely win a division, but they say we have to be in the conversation. We have to, and, and not like last year's conversation, which was, you know, we were six and ten, and we missed the playoffs by a game. No, no, no. This has got to be a you know above five hundred conversation, and we're in the playoff chase. Uh, you can certainly make a case. You know, I do feel that there's a lot of um, um, not unbridled optimism, but certainly some cautious optimism. The Giants are a better team, and and because of that, um, people are excited about their defense. They're excited about Joe Judge. That they they can uh, certainly be contenders in in a, in a fairly pedestrian division. Let's look at the, the NFC. Look, the balance of power is still in Tampa Bay and Green Bay. Would you put the Rams in that discussion with Matthew Stafford, now their quarterback? I would not. I would not yet. Um, I, I want to wait and see. You know, that's a, that's a fascinating, you know, that's like a fantasy football move, right? You know what I mean? You need a quarterback, Matt Stafford sitting there, you pick him up. And you don't know if he's going to be the great Matt Stafford or not the great Matt Stafford. But, um, you know, is he an upgrade from, uh, from Goff? Um, Throughout his career, yes, at this stage of his career, you know, all of a sudden he's leaving uh, Detroit where he's been his whole career now going to the uh, Rams. Fascinating to watch. You know, I think they're must-see must see games. You know, they have a great coach. Uh, but, no, I, I don't put them up there. You know, I, I, I think, the uh, as you mentioned, the Packers, uh, the Saints, I think, are due for a step down. You know, by the way, when you don't have um, Drew Brees, that's what happens. You know, I, they didn't really address the quarterback situation greatly. Um, but yeah, you know the teams you mentioned. It's not the NFC. It's not the NFC East teams. You know, but um, uh, the Bucks with Brady. You know, I mean, look, I, you you want to count out Brady? You know, you, for twenty years you look like an idiot, right? So <laughs> you might as well count him in until it literally proves he can't do it. So um, yeah, the uh, the Packers and and the Bucks right now are, are certainly uh, the chalk picks. I would say. Uh, there's no look. Brady's forty four years old. He's a phenomenon. Uh, you know, I. I don't know which is a bigger phenomenon, Brady at 44, LeBron James at 37, or Serena Williams at 39. I I don't know how you would rank those three. Yeah, no, look, look, I mean, uh, Brady is a quarterback. You know, you can't play any position probably other than quarterback at that age. But, um, look, you know, he's made a deal with some kind of devil, you know. And, <laughs> but also, look, you know, I mean, look, let's face it. He, you know, he tore his ACL once. Other than that, he, you know, uh, he played last year with, with a bad knee. You know what an MCL sprain and 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 played. You know and 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 you know he doesn't run, but still, he's got to stand in the pocket. He's got to move a little bit. But um, look, he's the kind of guy he he puts all everything into it. What he eats, um, you know, the way he works out his you know you know TB two regime. Um, you know that's not all lip service. You can make fun of it and the stuff that he eats and and things like that. But um, you know he he. 
he wants to play as long as he can possibly play, and he has made tremendous, I think, personal sacrifices uh, because you know you can have the best people around you, and you can you can pay everyone and have the best facilities, but they can't do it for you, right? The trainer can't they're not cannot do it for you. So you have to do it at some point yourself um, with help, but you have to do it. You have to sweat, and he's done it. So um, um, you know when I talk to the you know the, uh, you know Justin Tuck has been at Giants camp, OCU OCU Manure has been at Giants camp, and I talk to those guys and you know who have both been retired for a few years now, and they're much younger than Tom Brady. You know they just cannot. They literally cannot get over the fact that this guy is still playing. I got to ask you this: We're talking with Paul Schwartz of the New York Post, who's a beat writer for the Giants. I had Carl Banks on the podcast last week. Would you mind telling me why Carl Banks is not in the Hall of Fame? Well, uh, yeah, I, I can tell you why. I mean, I think he's a Hall of Fame type player, but um, this is still this is not an exact science. You can't plug it into a computer. And I know for a fact there's bias around. You know, there's only 50 guys who vote for the Hall of Fame, and 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 it and it's completely broken up to every NFL market. So there are people who have an NFL bias. You know, I've I've heard some some. Voters say things like, "You want everybody on that team, you know, in the Hall of Fame? You got Harry Carson, and you got Lawrence Taylor, and obviously, um, you know, you want every linebacker on that team in the Hall of Fame." So, so that that's a mentality out there. So, you know, they're not they're not studying it as, as carefully as maybe they should. Um, you know, he could be in the Hall of Fame. You know, I think Phil Sims comes up a little short. You know, the fact that he didn't, um, you know, play in that second Super Bowl hurts him. If he played and won that second Super Bowl and played great against the Bills, I think you can make a case. Um, and that's why I think the Eli Manning debate will be very interesting in another four years because there's a lot of people nationally who don't think Eli's a Hall of Famer. Uh, I uh, discussed with Carl <clears throat> to talk about that giant defense with Carson and Taylor and Gary Reasons and all that, the whole Leonard Marshall and that whole crowd. Um, everybody talks about the 85 Bears. Or they talk about Tampa Bay Bucks with Warren Sapp and, and Derek Thomas and that whole crowd. I think that giant defense of that time was as good as any of them. How about you? Well, um, they were great. They were great. But, you know, I mean, look, they were 86. 85 was the 85 Bears, right? I think that hurts the Giants a little bit. You know, the 85 Bears were stamped because their offense was so pedestrian. They had a great running back, but they did not have a great offense. And so... They, 85 Bears, you have to put them with, with the great, you know, the Steelers defenses and the great defenses. And then the next year come the Giants. So I think because they came so close together, people kind of said, well, look, they aren't the 85 Bears. Well, no, maybe they're probably not the 85 Bears, but they were the 86 Giants and they were darn good. Look, this is why people do podcasts and people write columns and people debate and people, you know, go to a bar and hash it out, you know, wearing their jerseys. It's great debate. You know, if you're going to tell me I think the Giants' 86 defense is the top 10 defense of all time, sure. If you tell me it's a top five defense, I would say, well, I'm not sure about that. But, heck, let the debate begin. Look, when, when you look over the schedule, and you probably have, uh, and it's not about circling this game or circling that game, but two games stand out, both in November. they got to go to Kansas City, which is tough, and they got to go to Tampa Bay, which is tough. That that uh, two very difficult games in the month uh, that has Thanksgiving, and I don't know how much thanks they're given for that. Yeah, but you know what? I, I I don't I don't look at those games and go crazy about those games. I really don't because you know anyone who's going to go down the giant schedule because I think they're going to lose that game. I think they're going to lose that game. You know, I I look at the first three games a lot more important than those games. You know, because I don't think 
you know, look, they almost beat Tampa last year. They almost beat them. You know, yep. they should have beat them. Daniel yep. Jones had two very poor interceptions in that game yep. that were not, you know, they, they were his interceptions were on him. But do I think they're going to go down to Tampa and win? I do not. Do I think they're going to go to Kansas City and win on, um, you know, Monday Night Football? I do not. But, uh, you know, so, okay, you know, the Giants aren't, gonna, aren't going to win 13 games this year. They're going to lose a bunch of games. I think they will lose those two games. I'm more concerned about week one, two, three, and even four. You know, Broncos at home, then at Washington, then at home to the Falcons, okay? Those are games they need to be competitive in and win two of the first three. You know, at the Saints. You know, the Saints are not a powerhouse anymore. So in those four, first four games, can you be two and two? You better be two and two. Can you be three and one? Maybe. You know, maybe. I probably wouldn't bet on it. But, you know, in the past, the Giants have been 0-1, 0-2. It seems like they start their season 0-1, 0-2. And then they're in a hole. And then they got to get, you know, then they have a close loss. And now, it's, all of a sudden, everything steamrolls. So, you know, this team has to get through that first month of the season in good shape. 2-2 two and two or 3-1. and one. Now we can start talking about the Cowboys and the Rams and things like that. So, yeah, I mean, you know, these national games, Monday night games against powerhouses, I don't have any. I don't have any um, idea in my head right now they're going to win them. Now, if we get into the midseason and now they're playing terrific football and Daniel Jones is playing well, you know we can reevaluate that certainly. You know it, it, it's it's a week to week deal. But right now in in mid August, no, I don't think they can win those games. Hey, it's it's August right now, right? I'm looking at those first four games. Would you be shocked if they were four and zero? Yes, I would be. <laughs> yes, I would be. Just because. Um, look, every team, every one of those four teams, Broncos, Washington, Falcons, and Saints, looks at the Giants and say, that's a game we should win. Okay, so, you know, I can look at them and say, yeah, that's a game the Giants can win. Everyone's looking at those games and saying, you know, the Broncos are traveling cross-country. They're not saying, oh, man, this is what a hornet's nest we're flying into there. You know, the Giants have been terrible. So, yes, I mean, I mean, the Giants have, 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 have been, you know, very poor starting teams for a very long time here in this, you know, eight or nine year, very bad run. So, um, 4-0, uh, yeah, I'd be pretty shocked at that. Uh, uh, unless I'm mistaken, uh, I don't know what the exact attendance is going to be Saturday night. What, what you think it's going to be a full stadium? And if so, it's the first time that these teams have played in front of people. Um, full stadium, no. I mean, preseason games are historically not full stadiums. Now, last night, you know, they had a fan fest last night. They gave away 50,000 free tickets. I think I lost you, Paul. I think I lost you. They gave away 50,000 free tickets. Let's, um, let's try to get a hold of Paul one more time because we lost him, if we can still get him. If not, not. Well, it's unfortunate, but I, I kind of get where Paul is coming from. Look, I think the Giants are going to be an improved team. I really do. Now, can you translate that to wins? Can they win more than six games? They're going to have to. Can they win nine? Keep in mind, there's a 17-game schedule this year. It's not an eight, It's not a 16-game schedule. I think the Giants, Shep, have to be considered to be a team that you probably don't want to play at some point. They've got a lot more offensive weapons than they had. And, you know, we'll see. We'll see. Uh Let's see if we can reconnect with Paul. Hello, Howard. 
Yeah, sorry, we, I lost you. I don't know what happened, but it doesn't really matter. You were saying about the, the free tickets that were given out for a fan fest. Yeah, they gave away uh, 50,000 tickets and uh, about 29,000 showed up. So, um, you know, that's a good sign. You know, people are just, you know, it's amazing. It's been, the, the last time uh, fans have been in MetLife Stadium to see the Giants was in December of 2019. Hmm. You know, 500 and something days ago. So they were starved to see their team. And um, I think Jets fans are going to be really pumped up to see Zach Wilson play. And he will play in the game. Daniel Jones will not play in that game, Howard, on Saturday night. Uh, Joe Judge has already said uh, that Daniel Jones will not play. Some starters will. Many will not. But, you know, this is a new coaching regime for the Jets. And it's a rookie quarterback. They've got to get him snapped. So I think Jets fans will, will – uh, there will be a lot of Jets fans in the building because they want to see their rookie quarterback play. Enjoy the season, Paul. Should be interesting. Thanks again for your insight, and stay safe. All right, Howard. Take care. You too. Paul Schwartz from the New York Post, who has been the beat writer for the Giants for a long time. I'm saying 30 years. Uh, we're only we're getting preseason football. This Well, we already had it with the Hall of Fame game. We're getting preseason football coming up. There's a lot of excitement around the New York metropolitan area, and there should be. I don't see any reason why not. The Jets are going to be improved. I think the Jets are going to be better than people think. I don't think they're a playoff team necessarily. But I think they're going to surprise some people. I'm really high on Zach Wilson. I think the kid's a good quarterback. they got a better wide receiver core. They have a better running back group. Uh, their offensive line has improved. Their defense, certainly their front seven, is to be reckoned with. Questionable about their corners and their safeties. But we'll find out. I think it's going to be fun around the New York metropolitan area. Thanks for taking a bite of the Big Apple with me. I'm Howard David. You stay safe. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit